Imagine that you're dead. It's cold, it's dark, it's empty. There's nothing, nothing at all. You can't see anything, you can't feel anything. You can't hear my voice. Tune that out. It's very unlikely my voice is going to be part of the afterlife. I'd be very surprised to get to heaven, find a continuous vegetarian monologue going on, maybe in hell. Right, kids? <laughs> also, you're not there. Can you contemplate the total absence of yourself? Give it a go. You can't do it, can you? You're still there lurking in the corner. Why not? That's how you spent the first 13 billion years of the universe's existence. Why is it so hard to accept that you'll return to that void? And with all these thoughts swirling around in your mortal and decayable brain, it's time for some comedy. Please welcome Richard Herring. Thank you there. Verdi and his uh, orchestra there helping us out at the beginning with his requiem. Uh, welcome to the We're All Going to Die podcast. Uh, this is a little extra for anyone who has already seen the show with some material that you won't see in the actual show or, or a little taster tape for people who might want to come and see the tour which starts at Braintree on the 1st of October then goes to the Leicester Square Theatre in London uh, from the 8th of October to the 13th of October uh, the other October dates are Manchester 16th at the Frog and Bucket, 17th Leamington Spa Comedy Festival, 18th Brighton Comedy Festival, which is nearly sold out, and the 23rd of October Sheffield Comedy Festival. Go to richardherring.com slash W-A-G-T-A-G-D-T-D, WAGTD, uh, as all the cool kids are calling it, uh, slash tour, and you'll be able to see all of those dates, see if I'm coming near to you. Do book ahead. Some of them are selling well. Reading's already sold out. Um, some of them aren't selling that well, as always. But uh, this is a little promotional thing. The show is called We're All Going to Die. Uh, I'm attempting the tricky combo of making people contemplate their own mortality whilst making them laugh. Uh, telling people they're guaranteed to die usually makes them cry. But I like a challenge. Death is a very funny thing. Uh, do you know uh, that uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead is not, as you might imagine, a telephone directory-like alphabetical list of all the people who ever died in Tibet, but is, in fact, disappointingly, a funerary test text intended to guide readers through the afterlife to their next rebirth, which I think is a shame. Did you know amongst those who have experienced death's icy finger are Perkin Warbeck, pretender to the throne of Henry VII, newsreader Kenneth Kendall, and English archivist and antiquarian William John Hardy. Those are just three of the people who have been fingered by death. Uh, did you know that if all the people who had ever died throughout history were to stand on the Isle of Wight, they would scare away all the tourists, seriously damaging that island's fragile economy? And if you're not sure that death is a funny subject, uh, I hope to kind of... Do a few podcasts over the coming months uh, with various stuff uh, in them. Uh, so I have come up with a few um, amusing deaths. You, the death of an individual is rarely the cause for laughter or a concerted attempt to get a song with an unpleasant connotation to number one in the pop charts. But occasionally there is grim humour in the demise of a person or persons where their own hubris, stupidity or sheer bad luck will make us chortle before feeling slightly ashamed. For me, the fear of experience of perverse or ironic death is... Uh, is my greatest fear, knowing that all people will remember about me if I'm eaten by a shark, for example. That will be annoying. Herring-based puns will ensue. Whatever else you did, if you die uh, in a wanking accident, for example, something I fear is quite likely to happen to me, despite all the practice I've been putting in. There's only one thing that is good people are going to mention when your name comes up. But here are a few of history's funnier and more embarrassing deaths. Uh, in 2210 BC, the first emperor of China, Qin Shi Hung, uh, was obsessed with the might not be how you say it. Uh, was obsessed with the quest for immortality. He took several mercury pills in the belief that by doing so he would live forever. He didn't live forever. He died almost immediately. He'd just eaten mercury, the prick. 
But for the remaining seconds of his life, he was able to tell you the exact temperature, which is a, a, a skill. Uh, in 762 AD, a Chinese poet Li Po leapt out of a boat attempting to kiss the moon's reflection. If you'd been on that boat, I think you'd been willing him to fall in as a just reward for his overly pretentious romanticism. He did fall in, and then he drowned which is probably a bit more than his reflection smooching deserved. In 1552, Henry Pert, nice name, Pert Nipples, uh, Nottinghamshire, that's one for anyone who was in the Odeon Cinema in Wells in 1982 when we watched the uh, other Cinderella. If you were there, that will make you laugh, but if you weren't, maybe not so much. Henry Pert of Nottinghamshire was practising his archery. He pulled his bow back to its full extent, but the arrow got stuck and wouldn't take flight. He leaned over to have a look at what the problem was. And it's like a sitcom. It's like a hilarious medieval sitcom. Uh, of course, the hosepipe slash uh, arrow and bow went off in his face. Uh, in 1993, uh, of course, we've all wished a lawyer dead at some point in our lives, but ultimately you have to feel sorry for Gary Hoy. Uh, ultimately. He worked on the 24th floor of the Toronto Dominion Centre and his party trick was to demonstrate to visitors that the glass in the windows was unbreakable by throwing himself against the glass. He did this twice on July the 9th. 1993, but on the second attempt he went crashing through the aperture. The window had not broken, but popped out of his frame. So he was right. At least he could go to his grave knowing that. In uh, 1998, if you've ever felt God favours another football team over yours, then you should try supporting Bena Chishadi. Uh, when they played Basanga in 1998, there was a lightning storm which killed the entire team. All the players for Basanga survived, and thus, I believe, they won the fixture. Uh, 2005, Kenneth Pinion from Seattle died of acute peritonitis after receiving anal intercourse from a stallion. The case led to the criminalisation of bestiality in Washington State. The most remarkable thing about that is bestiality was illegal in Washington State before that happened. It's always someone who has to take things too far who ruins the fun for everyone else. Kenneth Pinion. Uh, you know, I think that's all that people are going to remember about Kenneth Pinion. Even people who knew him very well, he died being bummed by a horse. Uh, in 2010, 20 crew and passengers died in a plane crash in the Democratic Republic of Congo when a crocodile smuggled on board in a passenger's hand luggage freed itself, panicked the passengers who all ran towards the flight deck. The tiny plane became unbalanced and crashed. One passenger and the crocodile survived, which is, you know, is fitting that the crocodile survived. Um, and, you know, some deaths you feel are deserved. 2011, Jose Luis Occhio uh, 35, died after being stabbed in the leg at a cockfight in California, which isn't as much fun as it sounds. It's, uh, when it's fighting birds. Uh, one of the fighting birds that had a knife attached to its limbs had stabbed Jose Louis in the leg. It's hard to feel any sympathy for him, isn't, isn't it, really? I mean, chickens don't get many victories over man, but that one certainly did. It might prove to be the first step in a planet of the chickens future world. You never know. So there we have seen that death can be funny. Uh, and that is the point of this show, I suppose. We're looking at the light side of death. I think we have to laugh in death's face uh, while our jaws are still attached and our hearts are still beating. Uh, we're all going to die. It's just a fact. It can be a panic-inducing scream. It can be a, just a blatant blatant statement of fact. It can be quite reassuring. We're all going to die. Uh, and just because death is funny, that doesn't mean I want you to laugh at my death. On the contrary, I want you to cry your eyes out when you hear I'm dead. Go, why, God, why would you take Richard Herring? He was so beautiful. I want my funeral to be full of all the women in my life who've ever rejected, who'll be weeping, holding on to each other for support, and wailing, why didn't we make love to him when we had the chance? And then at the end of the service, they all les up uh, in honour of me. Give me in death what no one would give me in life. Uh, someone emailed me, because that is a little bit from the show, to suggest that he'd also want in his funeral for the ladies to rub their breasts against the coffin. I think that's too far and a bit sexist. 
But while our flesh must decay, perhaps we can achieve immortality in other ways. I'm quite keen to become a fossil. It's the ultimate way to stick it to your peers and rivals. Sure, you might not have achieved much in your eminently forgettable life, but if you happen to just fall in the right mud pit or bog or be consumed by some lava, then you might outlive Shakespeare, Plato, even Justin Bieber. What a cheap joke that is. Hundreds of thousands of years after every human being is dead, I might be discovered by an evolved cockroach archaeologist and put in a museum. I hope that bored evolved cockroach children will be made to draw a picture of my crumpled old face for their ancient history project. And I hope they capture the little smile that we play across my lips. Because all those people that have come second to me in my life second to in my life will be nothing but dust blowing on the breeze, and I'll be held up as the prime, possibly only example of humanity. But alas, nothing is permanent, my friends. Uh, one day the evolved cockroach civilization will crumble and the evolved cockroach museum itself will fall and disappear but with luck it will fall into a mud pit or a bog or be consumed by by a volcano so that it too becomes a fossil with the fossil of me fossilized inside then after even more eons have passed my fossilized fossil will be discovered by alien archaeologists and placed in another museum in a faraway galaxy and i will live in the broadest sense which encompasses being dead until our sun explodes and beyond the only relic from our entire solar system and so on I think that puts Hillary Kay's one-point victory over me in Celebrity Mastermind into some kind of perspective. I hope you will agree. Um, so, um, the wages of sin are death, but remember, the wages of of living, they're also death. Death is inevitable. Uh, so don't worry about that too much. Um, I'm going to try a little bit for you that I tried in the previews. I could never get it quite right. I think there's something interesting uh, in this idea. Um but it never quite flew. If it goes well, it might end up being in the tour, which will be a longer show than the uh, the one you saw in Edinburgh if you did come to the Fringe. There will be a, a bit more material in it. I don't think this is going to make it, but you never know. I might find the way to make this work, God willing, in his heaven above. Um, God showed his displeasure in me recently by sending down a plague of ants upon me. Uh, I came down to the kitchen to find that maybe 20 or 30 ants were scurrying around on my worktops and in my sink. All right, it's a mild plague compared to the locusts and stuff that he sent that time in the Bible. But I haven't done anything to massively offend the creator. I've, you know, I've knocked him off a bit by breaking a couple of the commandments and constantly banging on about how he doesn't exist. He has to have a sliding scale. He can't just give... A, if he punishes even the tiniest things with locusts, then where's he going to go when something really bad happens? Uh, anyway, the ants were getting in through a small hole under the window. I had some fun blocking the hole up with matchsticks and then watching the stupid, clueless ants get all confused and upset when they couldn't get back through the hole they'd come in by. <laughs> the idiot ants. I'm much better than them. Uh, I then further proved my superiority by squashing the ants with my finger. That would teach them for coming into my house and eating my crumbs. Yeah, all right, I probably wasn't going to eat the crumbs myself, but they're still mine. The thing that had probably attracted the ants in was the remains of a takeaway that I had last night, which was bagged up on a tray. In hindsight, I should probably have thrown that away in advance. Uh, There were quite a few of the ants were scurrying around that, so I threw the cartons away now in the bin outside, nobly allowing the ants that were still crawling over the boxes to live, albeit in a new environment, several ant miles away from where they had previously lived. But the ants that were still on the tray were not so lucky. I had to teach them a lesson. I put the tray in the sink and turned on the taps, washing maybe 11 ants to an horrific death. I laughed as they died and flew down the whirlpool of the plug hole. The ants had dared to disrespect me and my home and my crumbs, and now they were paying. I'm sure some of you are listening. You think the death penalty was too much for their crime. The ants, you're going to argue, were only following their instincts, and a custodial sentence would have been more appropriate in the circumstances. But I haven't got time to gather up ants and keep them in a box until 
they've learned their lesson. And well, you know, now imagine you'd have to kind of make something that ants couldn't escape for. I'd have to feed them, which would just be like rewarding them for their crime. I'd have to stand guard over it the whole time to make sure they didn't get. I don't. I'm an important man. I don't have time for shit like that. And would they learn their lesson anyway? I don't think so. I think the minute they came out, they do exactly the same thing again. I don't. I th- that's the problem with ants. I think the deaths of a few ants will probably serve as a warning to the ones that I allowed to live in exile, and they might go about mending their ways. I think it's possible those ants will look upon me as a kind of Jesus figure, an evil Jesus figure, but a Jesus figure nonetheless. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to go out into my dad's. I was horrible. I went into my dad's greenhouse. I lay out some newspaper, waiting for ants to walk onto it, and then when enough of them were aboard the newspaper, I would set it alight. And laugh as they burned in front of me. These were ants that had got that hadn't got above themselves by thinking they could come indoors. These were ants who'd done nothing wrong, were living in the ground where they belonged. I was wrong. I regret killing those ants. I didn't have the ethical and moral compass that I now have. I felt guilty for the needless murder of those ants back there in the greenhouse. What if one of them had grown up to be the ant version of Shakespeare? He might have written a play about eating a crumb that would have helped the ant civilization move on from their petty crumb-eating ways. As it was, any ant that may have survived the burning would probably have gone on to be the ant Osama bin Laden, declaring war against all humanity, maybe encouraging ants that were once good and knew their place to go into people's houses and eat bits of their leftover takeaways. Was that the reason these ants were in my kitchen? Was it my fault? All I've done is to will, is to kill the ants or lock them away in my Guantanamo dustbin and exacerbated the problem. If ants ever take over the world, it will probably be directly my fault. I'm sorry about that. And for wiping out any chance of ant theatre really kicking off. Uh, it's kind of alright that. It's kind of confused metaphor though. I don't know what I'm saying really about terrorists and criminals by comparing them to ants. It's got a kind of hidden right wing agenda that I'm not entirely happy about. Um, so uh, just trying to see how long this has gone on for. Oh it's not that long. Uh, so um, I thought I would. It's boring hearing one voice all the time on these podcasts. I understand that. Especially if it's my slightly weird voice. I don't like it. I wouldn't listen to this if I was you, but thank you for listening. Uh, So I thought I would mix things up a little bit by having an interview at this part of the podcast. And that interview is going to be carried out uh, on me by Me Too from the popular snooker podcast, Me One vs Me Too Snooker. So I think just to give a bit of a variety. So will we please give a big round of applause to Me Too. Hello, Richard. Thanks for having me. Do I not get like some Verdi playing me in? You don't, Me Too. No, you don't. Only I get that Verdi music playing me in at the beginning. It was just on your mobile phone though, wasn't it? Which is, and it sounded a bit tinny and pathetic. I don't really have the resources here or any understanding of technology, me too, as you should know, having worked with me um, quite uh, over the last two years. Um, and so I just have to do the best I can. I think people like the half assed nature of this myself. I think that's what they enjoy. Anyway, all right, well, um, uh, it's nice to be branching out and doing some non-snooker-based stuff, although snooker is my life. I do let the snooker do the talking. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you must listen to me, one versus me, two, snooker. You must. Um, so uh, I've got some, I've written some questions for you. Well, I'll look, I'm looking forward to hearing them, me too. Yeah, well, you've got, you haven't, I haven't had time to prepare because I don't know what they are. Well, that's good. So I was going to ask you, Richard, what is the closest you personally have come to death? That's an interesting question. Um, I did ask that myself in the... Uh, the Edinburgh Fringe podcast that you can also listen to if you if you if you want to they're all free on iTunes and the British Comedy Guide. Um, 
I've, you know, a few. I've mentioned this. I, I did uh, come very close to dying when I was very young. I got, I got whooping cough when I was oh really, yeah, when I was uh, six weeks old. So that was very touch and go. But obviously, I don't remember that. Uh, another time, I came very close to death. That I, I don't really think I've spoken about it before. When I was um, uh, in Camp America in, in the mid mid eighties, on my year off, as we called it then, gap year, uh, I believe they call it now. Um, I, I went to. California we were in the uh, redwood forests of northern California it was rather beautiful um, and um, worked there for about three months on the last day um, there there was a big party all the kids had gone home luckily uh, and uh, things uh, you know everyone got a little bit drunk had a good time and uh, I don't know exactly what happened but there was uh, in in this place that we had the party everyone pretty much everyone had gone to bed uh, and a fire started up in that in that actual building and we were of course in um in the middle of a redwood forest we were literally an hour and a half away from the nearest fire station and the whole house went up and then trees were exploding we were all woken up i was very drunk i had to be sort of shaken awake uh and we had to kind of then load up water and try to put out the fire out fire ourselves or keep it in control until the till the fire brigade arrived from 200 miles away or however far away it was and so i guess that was it luckily it had just rained um on the day on that day for the first time all summer just been a drizzle but I think that dampness there was no wind which was lucky so it was all kind of kept uh, in one place although I do it was where the gas was stored for the whole camp and um, I do remember when one of the gas canisters went up and they sent this huge ball of fire into the air it was only sort of 100 yards away from where I was standing so um, that was quite exciting yeah that is that is exciting um what do you think, Richard Herring, happens to us uh, when we die? Well, I don't know, me too. Um, <laughs> I really, the thing is, nobody knows. If anyone says they know what happens, they're either lying or they're guessing uh, because nobody's died and come back alive again. And I don't think, uh, mediums, I don't think are, are real. I'm afraid to tell you, so I don't think we can talk to the dead. Uh, if we could talk to the dead, you could ask them amazing, interesting questions like, which God is real? Is heaven nice? Uh, what is going to happen in the future? Uh, where is my, uh, where is my wallet that I lost? Those sort of things, and presumably the dead would know. But they, we, all the mediums seem to do is, is ask people things that they already know, so we get like reassurance. Go, oh, yeah. So it's what interests me about mediums. Me too. Is that they're they're the audience believe in them, yet the whole show seems to be just them proving that they're able to do what they can do by saying stuff that everyone already knows, and then some stuff that I guess is unprovable. Um, but yeah, so you'd think we get some philosophical questions from someone able to talk to the dead rather than oh he was he was sad that he died he misses you uh but anyway i i in one of my shows i did discuss that you know if you're going to make up an afterlife and any afterlife idea is made up why not make up something that that'll make people live their lives better rather than worse that'll make them kind of try and do the best they can rather than be selfish or or not help their fellow man or whatever or you know just be looking out for themselves i think a much better afterlife for when you died you get shown to a gigantic room uh, that is full of uh all the babies that would have existed uh if their sperm had got to the egg first all the sperm in your ejaculation if that sperm had got to the egg before yours did they're all kind of they've all been fertilized and you get like an they're these kind of psychic babies sitting in thrones and then you have to go around each one of them in turn explaining how you would have lived your life. There were 600 million sperm, up to 600 million sperm in each ejaculation. It would take a long time explaining how you lived your life and they then get to say what they would have done uh, if if they'd lived. You have to you have to convince them that you lived a good enough life 
that it was right that you won that race to those all 600 million of them because you know I think I'd have to go well you know I did spend every single uh, Sunday morning in the year 2009 watching the omnibus edition of Hollyoaks even though it's not really directly aimed at me I was a grown man at that time uh, and uh, uh, even though I'd already seen every episode in its original 6.30 evening show. But, you know, I think you get a little bit of extra stuff from that second show because of the man doing the the signing for the blind. It's like an, like an extra character in there, this kind of old man who's turned up in Hollyoaks. He's sort of fat and bearded and no one really talks to him. They just ignore him and he really would like to join in, but he can't. It's the character I most identify with. I think if you had that, then you would live your life to the the full... Uh, you won if you if you had to explain that stuff to all of those sperm well, it's very interesting Richard thank you for that and uh, what personally do you think was what is the worst death of someone else you have had to experience in your life well there's this meant to be a comedy podcast me too and it's also you are me just asking me questions and I, you know I don't think I don't think I want to talk about like necessarily the, the serious stuff like that now obviously there have been deaths in my life I've been lucky really that I haven't been massively affected and afflicted by death in my life all my grandparents are now dead uh, only a very a handful of people I actually know have died so uh, I have been fortunate but that is the modern world isn't it me too I suppose it is Richard it is that we actually can live a long life now with and, and, and hardly lose anybody maybe just your parents and grandparents maybe not even that so um I, I do remember when my granddad died. It was my first, the first granddad to die. I was um, 20, I think, 19 or 20. Yeah, I think it was just nearly 20. Uh, and then I'd lived my whole life my, my with all four grandparents still going strong. Uh, I think that was quite impressive. My, my brother and sister were a bit older than me, so they had four, all four grandparents until they were in their mid-20s, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Um, the thing I remember is that in those days I, I, I was at St Catherine's College in Oxford and uh, we didn't have mobile phones in those days, kids. And um, so every message you had to either queue up to ring your, your family or friends from the two paid phone boxes, which were always full, or they could leave a message for you at the Porter's Lodge. And uh, and I found out that my granddad had died. I knew it was coming, but my in the end my parents left a message at the Porter's Lodge and so I and I picked up this message off this little circular board with a bit of sellotape on it and it obviously kind of flummoxed the guy who wrote the message because it sort of changed tense halfway through um, and uh, it said something like can you tell him his grandfather has died it was just like a really odd way to find out about the probably the first or second significant death in my life so I remember that's one of the it's sort of weirdly amusing I suppose in a way they can sort of imagine the guy starting writing the message and my parents go yes it's Mr Rich Tang and so you start writing down and could you tell him that his grandfather is dead and then the bloke has to write that now and stick it up which um, I guess my parents hadn't realised uh, that uh, it would be delivered to me in written form but even so if a stranger had had to come and tell me it would it would have been odd so anyway, thanks for... That's me too. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm the interview. You did well, me too. I think you're a good interview. I mean, I do a lot of interviews. Uh, I'm doing the Let's Square Theatre podcast coming back from the 30th of September. Uh, go to gofasterstripe.com if you want to buy the series video pass, but there will be free audio at the usual places. iTunes, the British Comedy Guide. You can buy tickets from the Let's Square Theatre, of course, as you can. Of course, for my upcoming run of We're All Going to Die, which is... I wouldn't say that's what all this is about. It's, you know, this is a nice extra, but... Uh, it would be lovely if you enjoyed the show and you have friends you think might enjoy it do send them along 
uh, or if you haven't seen it yet, come along. Uh, the way I can fund doing all of these free podcasts is for you to occasionally uh, purchase something, but it's uh, and a ticket to my tour would be the ideal thing, really, uh, or a, a DVD or whatever from Go Faster Stripe. Um, but uh, you know, my live shows are more considered and involve less of me being interviewed by myself uh, than this. Are we sorry if you just if you're just ignoring me. I was you know I don't think I've said goodbye. Look, say goodbye me too. Thank you, Richard. Uh, hopefully, I'll be back in. If you've enjoyed this, I'll be back in. The next podcast to interview Rich Tang. Well, it might be you, might be one of the other many, many others of my characters that I've invented. Yeah, I'm not sure. Not sure this is really a character. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, that is it for this first edition of uh, the We're All Going to Die podcast. Um, do go to richherring.com slash W-A-G-T-D uh, and you will, or just go to richherring.com and click on the picture of We're All Going to Die. Uh, and you'll get lots of information about the show, all the reviews, which were really good. I got like uh, three five-star reviews and loads of four-star reviews. Uh, so it's my most, critically most successful. Edinburgh, thank you very much if you did come. Um, I think this is a really good show. The actual show, not this podcast, which is a bit flaky. Uh, and, uh, you know, if this is the stuff I couldn't put in the show, imagine how good the show is. It's better than this. Uh, so uh, hopefully I'll be back maybe um, after the London run. Uh, with another one of these, or maybe just before, who knows? Um, I'm actually going off uh, to Eastern Europe with David Baddiel uh, next week uh, for a TV show, uh, so uh, I won't be around next week. Uh, but I might try and uh, do these every now and again if you've enjoyed them. So if you enjoy my stuff, please tell your friends. It's, it's something else you can do. Just do tell your friends about the show. Uh, and uh, I'm doing a limited tour this time, so it's not going all over the place. So apologies if it's not coming to you, but if you're prepared to travel a little bit, I'm prepared to travel quite a lot to get to most of these places. So do come and see me in Braintree on the 1st of October, or London on the 8th to 13th, Manchester 16th, Leamington Spa 17th, Brighton, Brighton on the 18th, and Sheffield on the 23rd of October. Those are the October, excuse me, the October dates, and um, loads more to come after that. Ah, we're all going to die. Hooray! Uh, we are all going to die, but uh, don't have nightmares. Although we are all going to die, it's unlikely to happen to you right right away. Uh, but live your life as if you have a limited time left, because you must see the beauty and enjoy the world. That is my message to you, my friends, with the inevitability of our own deaths. We never know when they're just round the corner, and uh, probably, but they probably aren't. They're probably miles away. So. Um, just make sure you enjoy being alive because we'll be dead for a very very long time <laughs> and I, I don't think there's any life after death i think and i don't think it even matters what we do in our life i think like death's like an etch-a-sketch you do a beautiful life's like an etch-a-sketch do a beautiful drawing then death is just like going <laughs> don't matter what you've done could have been something awful could have been something good <laughs> it's gone on it fuck it thanks very much hope you come and see the show it is really funny and jolly and fun and fun uh, we're all gonna die Check out the website. Bye-bye.